you open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. We're going to be continuing as we do as a church in that Gospel. Uh, it's been an amazing journey uh, on and off over a year and a half to go through this Gospel together. And there we go. So I have, I have a question. Uh, it's, it's going to be a rhetorical question, so please do not raise your hand. I do not want to know exactly how you voted this week, but I just want to know how many of you are so really super excited about the results of our most recent federal election, right? Next question, like, <laughs> next question right. Wasn't it fun? Right? What, not? Not really? No, you, you're not really that excited about it. Okay, it's a wonderful thing. I, 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 I bring that up only because... As many of you know, I've made it a policy uh, as a pastor, and I think it's a good thing not to divulge or talk about uh, voting and where I'm going, etc. Um, there's enough of that going on south of the border where we're taking sides and stuff like that, so we just don't do that. Uh, but it was, it was a fun process. But I, I bring it up simply because I'm always amazed at the, the reality that uh, we, we have... Um, in our world today, I know it's kind of noisy at the back there, so I'm going to ask everyone to come on, sit down with us for all of us to hear. But it's amazing to me how the Holy Spirit uh, lines things up, prepares things in such a way. And this text that he has for us today, uh, I think is remarkable considering what we've been through over the last three months of our federal election. Um, you might remember some of you that uh, we did a series two or three years ago. I might refer to it a couple of times this morning. Uh, we called it the way of the kingdom, uh, about the kingdom of God. And during that particular series, I came up with a couple of my own, very own hashtags that I shared with you, and I'm going to repeat them for you today, just as an encouragement for you today, if you're at all frustrated about politics, uh, left or right, or who won, who didn't win, actually, it looks like nobody actually won in this election, but in case you're really kind of concerned and down about it, may I suggest you just to practice one of these two hashtags. The first hashtag would be hashtag not my kingdom, right? Just, just remember, this is not really Christian, your kingdom that you're living in here today. And the second hashtag would be not my king, okay? So is that helpful at all? I, I just wanted it to be helpful for you this morning. So. Read with me. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 13, verse 18 to 21. Short, powerful passage. Jesus very much concluding his sermon that's been going on since chapter 12 in the gospel, and we read these words. He, Jesus, said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Let's pray one more time before we dive in. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this word today. Thank you for this sermon by Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your words. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you that you came and, and wanted to bring us the good news of the gospel and of the kingdom of God so that we would know and be invited into it and how we can become part of your kingdom. And once in your kingdom, how then we should live. And so, Lord, I just thank you so much for these words. I pray that you would just encourage us and bless us as we go through this text today. And I pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your worthy name. 
Amen. We've already seen this throughout the Gospel of Luke, that this is probably Jesus' favorite subject, right? In the Gospels, he actually talks about the kingdom of God and money more than many other things. The kingdom of God is on his mind from the very get-go. In fact, when he began his ministry, you all know the story that when he began his earthly ministry at the age of 30, he goes to John the Baptist, is baptized, he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, he is victorious and over uh, Satan the devil, and as soon as he returns from the wilderness, he of course does what? Sets up a Bible study, right? No. The first thing he does is he declares why he's here. He declares why he's here and what he is going to be all about. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we read Jesus saying these words. From that time, Matthew tells us, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Of heaven, Matthew uses often. And what he means by that is, it's here. It has arrived. I'm God in the flesh. I have brought it to you. And of course, we note that he ties repentance with the arrival of the kingdom. And of course, that is signaling that it is the key requirement for entry into the kingdom. And he repeats this over and over and over again. Now, when we did that series, The Way of the Kingdom, I asked this question, which I will again today for everyone's refreshing, but also for those of you who didn't hear that series. Um, What do you think when you think of the word kingdom? Um, What do we think about where that word or concept or idea even came from? We know today that uh, there are kingdoms. Uh, Throughout history, there is the Roman Empire. They're either called empires or kingdoms. And we've seen it through all of human history that there are these things called kingdoms, right? The Saudis even call their kingdom the kingdom, definite article, which I have said before is somewhat presumptuous, don't you think? Uh, Considering who is truly the king today. And we also have, of course, the animal kingdom in science. We have all kingdom language is prevalent everywhere. But it's interesting, the question that I ask and the reason why I ask it is, where did it come from? Is it a man-made idea? Did we come up with this? Well, the truth is, as most of you good Christians who know your Bibles know and know Genesis chapter 1, it it came from the Bible. The very idea and concept that there are such a thing as kingdoms or will be kingdoms comes from Genesis, from the Scripture. We read, of course, in the very first few words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created, right? The story begins with us being told there is a sovereign, and and He is sovereign over the whole cosmos. He creates everything, literally speaking through Jesus, Everything into existence. Everything that was made was spoken into existence by Jesus and by God. And so we know that there is this sovereign who is overall and, and, and over everything that we know, the whole cosmos, and including, of course, ourselves. But then, of course, we read in 126 these words. God speaking in his plurality, Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them, look at these two words, very important, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
I mean, literally, you can almost see the picture here at this point in time. It's like, like Queen, uh, the Queen of England, right? It, Jesus is virtually knighting Adam and Eve, humankind, man and woman, male and female, to be his vice-regals looking over his creation under his sovereign rule. And so this language comes from, literally, the Scripture. Dominion. We are, of course, in Canada, we are a kingdom, right? No, actually, we are the Dominion of Canada is our full name. And again, this is where we get this language and thinking from, is from the very Scripture. So sadly, of course, you guys all know the story, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We know the story that there is someone who actually said at one point in time, I don't want you to be my sovereign. I don't want you to be my sovereign. I want to be sovereign. I want to take that upon myself. And that person, that being is, of course, the devil, Satan. And, and, and that's exactly what he offered to Adam and Eve, is it not? He offered to them the, the, the opportunity, the thought that you could be your own sovereign. And to this day, every human born into this world essentially functions from that point of view, apart from God, that we can be our own sovereign in this life, in this world today. So as I mentioned three years ago during our mini-series, The Way of the Kingdom, we learned a few very important things and truths that I, I want to repeat for you this morning that I think will help us understand better Jesus' words here this morning. And the first thing is the key, the takeaway that we had from this was that despite the fact that today we have all these other kingdoms in mind that we've, we know about from history and so on and so forth, the reality is there are only two kingdoms in this world today, active and powerful in this world today. There is the kingdom of darkness that is led by Satan and his minions, and there is the kingdom that we sang about this morning of light. And the king of that kingdom is Jesus Christ. It's important for us to note, there's no such thing as a third kingdom, as much as we want that to be true. There are no third kingdoms. Hashtag, not my kingdom. Hashtag, not my king. So before we unpack today's uh, text that we're going to look at. Maybe I want to give you a little definition that, again, I, I went back in my notes from the way of the kingdom, and I, I like this definition. There are several definitions of what the kingdom of God really is today, really theological ones, right? Really well worked out, you know, which are great. But I like this one because it, it, it puts, uh, puts Jesus at the forefront he is the one who introduced the kingdom. Uh, we know that, technically speaking, the kingdom is already here, not yet, fully realized. It will be when Jesus returns. And so the question I want to give you this morning, just to have in the back of your mind as we're doing this, this morning is this. The kingdom of God is God's active, right now, and sovereign reign through history, bringing about his purposes in the world through Christ Jesus. In the simplest of terms, the kingdom of God is what the world looks like when King Jesus gets his way. I love that definition. The interesting thing about it is, for some reason, he expects us to be part of that. He gets us his way by us, the church, bearing much fruit. Remember that from last week? That, that begs one last question before we dive in. It's a question that people have asked before, and they asked during that series that we had before, and it's a good question. It is, 
okay, help me understand what, what, what's, there's the church and then there's this kingdom thing. Like, what's the difference? Are they different? Are they the same thing? Are they somehow competitive? Like, what, what are the two of them all about? Well, as I mentioned at that time, uh, there are two books that I have read in the past 10 years that besides every theological tome that I can get my hands on, in the Bible, of course, uh, that have informed me my understanding of the kingdom best. And they are written by uh, uh, a man who leads uh, one of the largest missionary networks uh, in the United States. His name is Chris Christofferson. He's a Canadian, planted over 20, 25 churches in Ontario at one time. Uh, he's written two books, one called Kingdom Matrix, and the other is called Kingdom First. And, and I, I need to share that with you today because that series, much of my understanding was built from that, and he has credit for that, as thoughts from today are as well. But he came up with this saying that I, I think really helps us understand the difference between the kingdom and the church. And I'll put it on screen for you. It is this. The kingdom of God is the goal. It, it is the goal, which is why Jesus constantly talked about it. Paul constantly talked about it. The book of Acts starts with the kingdom of God. Paul ends with the kingdom of God. The church, on the other hand, is the vehicle. So with that introduction, let me give you your sermon title and outline for today. It is the following. The title is The Expansion of the Kingdom. I hope we're going to see it three ways through these two simple metaphorical illustrations. Number one, from small to great. Number two, expansion requires investment. Number three, expansion is the goal. So number one, from small to great. Let's put the first verse on screen for you. He, Jesus, said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? So you'll notice that he starts off with the word, or the words so, um, Luke records, he said, therefore. Um, this, of course, tells us that this is a concluding statement. Luke is bringing in his orderly account, he is arranging the things, not necessarily in all of the last two chapters, chapter 12 and into chapter 13, perfectly chronologically, but in order to make the point about what Jesus is saying, Jesus has told, as we've seen recently, everyone within hearing distance of what he's been preaching and teaching, and he told them twice, we saw, recently, that they all need to repent. So the kingdom and repentance are these repetitive things, or they too will perish, like those who uh, perished, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, in those examples of those, those great tragedies, right? A tower following on 18 people, and, and, and whether that would also be something like 9-11, and so Jesus is always on, his, it's always on his mind, and the reason that it's always on his mind is because, obviously, he wants us all to repent and be saved, be forgiven of our sins, so that we can have eternal life with him in his forever kingdom. And so repentance is really, really, really critical, because without, of course, evidence of repentance, there is no forgiveness for our sins, which means when our time comes... When we breathe our last breath, and it is coming, we would perish for eternity. That is not Jesus' heart, obviously, which is why he repeats these things. And so the evidence we learned last week of our repentance is fruit. There needs to be fruit, and it's evidence, a life that bears much fruit for the sake of the kingdom. 
And so that's why Jesus says, therefore, and we see therefore in this. He's been demonstrating the power of the kingdom throughout his ministry. He's been making it clear in the Gospels that he has the power and that the kingdom has come. Healing, raising people from the dead, miracles, feeding 5,000 at a time. And of course, we saw recently last week the healing of a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years right in front of the religious people. They believed, right? Carte blanche. Everybody got saved, right? No. No. There was a, a refusal to repent. And so picture it this way. Jesus, he began in chapter 12 talking about this kingdom, and we'll see that as we end today. And, and he's talking about it, and, and he, it's like, I've been asking a lot of questions every week, right? I always ask all these questions. Who are we? You know, what does change look like? And so on and so forth. Well, Jesus is asking the questions this morning because he knows they're thinking these things. They, they don't know what the kingdom is any more than you might have 20 minutes ago or 10 years ago. And so he, he's asking rhetorically these questions. So what does the kingdom of God look like? Is it possible to even compare it to anything? So now think about that. Think about that. Is, is there anyone that you can think of, especially not me, but anyone that you can think of who could possibly answer that question better than the incarnate Son of God standing there right in front of them who from eternity has been king, along with the Father and the Spirit, sovereign over all things, is today and will be for eternity, not only answer that question or any question for that matter. The incarnate Son. He has stepped out of eternity, out of, uh, um, out of an eternity where there is no time, and into our place, who better to answer this question? He's offering, he's asking the question rhetorically to them. Now, you would think that Peter, who usually has an answer, would step up. <laughs> Somebody would step up and answer, but apparently not. Apparently, he throws out the rhetorical questions like I did this morning about, are you happy about the, the election results? And apparently, nobody answered. Nobody answered. So he goes into his answer. And so, as I've, I've already said, who better to communicate the truth to us about our cosmos, about who we really are, and then out of that, how we should live and can live as redeemed and restored human beings in this world today. And so how does he do it? How's he going to do it? Well, with two of the simplest, simplest metaphorical illustrations probably ever. A mustard seed and leaven. It goes on and it says this. He said, it is like a grain of mustard. A grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew, and it became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Now, I'm thinking that for some of you, some of us who are moderns today, we look at these, you know, these parables and these metaphors and illustrations by Jesus, uh, and we, we think that such simple agrarian illustrations are they're just not relatable to us today, like they're maybe, in, maybe for simpler times and simpler people. I, I just want to remind you that, that Jesus, of course, is the Son of God, and, and some of these simple things maybe thought of more deeply are actually deeper than we might think. But he's been doing this for some time, hasn't he? He's, he's, he's not just using the agrarian examples, but he talked about, what did we look at a few weeks ago? The parable of the 
fig tree, right? And, and the, the, the planter of the fig tree who expected fruit, right? And so he's, he's always using that. But I, I want to suggest to you, I was thinking about this week while I was relaxing in my backyard when there was a moment of sunshine, and I was thinking about this text and this message, and I'm like, you know, let, let's, let's be clear here. Everything, since, of course, the creation of Adam and Eve, the first male and female, everything, and, of course, all other things have been born. Everything comes from a seed of one kind or another, right? Every form of life comes from a seed. And, and, and every seed that, that is born out of the fruit that there is, or the trees, or the whatever it might be, or out of animals and humans for that matter, it, its purpose is to do what? Produce more life. Produce more fruit. And so the use of such simple illustrations from such simple trees or plants by the one who created them, listen, should get our attention. Are we able to calm our spirits about everything that's gone on this week to hear something this simple? I hope we are, because it's profound. So Jesus chooses to introduce us and his disciples in that day to his kingdom by choosing not just a known seed in that day, but listen, the most unlikely to illustrate for us something truly amazing and powerful about his kingdom. He says, I mean, have you ever, I want to ask you this question, have you ever seen, anyone here, can you answer this question? Have you ever seen a mustard seed? Like actually had one in your hands? Some of you agrarian people have, right? Let me show you what it looks like. Now, they look rather large because of the photo, right? But, but they're actually little, 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 tiny little, little specks, right? I mean, and, and actually ancient seeds, the seeds of that day, would, would have been even darker and even smaller and it was synonymous in that day with the phrase, speck of dirt. So, so the mustard seed was like, it wasn't like held up there, like, like as if it's like the, one of the most prized seeds. It was an important tree to have, but it wasn't so much because of the seed itself. Its value or important was re- actually in those days relatively insignificant. However, everyone in that day knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. So seeds, by the way, again, are, I'm not a a great scientist or biologist, but I think I know this much. They're actually living organisms, except they're in a dormant state. They actually have life within them, the potential of life within them, but they're in a dormant state. And, And mustard seeds, when planted, were also known, quite frankly, for laying dormant in the soil for a long period of time. So people would plant mustard seeds and they'd be like, are we going to get a tree? Like, and they'd wait and they'd wait. The process is interesting. Several factors were necessary. If this little seed were to ever germinate, the, the absolute right conditions had to be there. There'd need to be enough dry days and rainy days and, and, and there needed to be the, the, the work sometimes even of man continuing to till the soil. Of course, the work of God providing the nutrients that are necessary, perfect conditions to occur to make this tiny, listen, speck of dirt swell, germinate, and then become one of these. That, that little, that's what it becomes. Very important in that world. In that world, that's a big, that's a big tree. Like, we live in Squamish. Come on. Like, we got monsters in British Columbia, but that was a big tree for that region. 
So I wonder, I have a question for you that this will bear something on our message today. I wonder if any of you who were here or heard last week's message felt some tension. It kind of came up in our missional community group this week uh, that there might have been some tension felt after the way last week's message ended. Of course, the preacher usually gets blamed for that, uh, but uh, it was interesting. I think it could be like this. We hear a message about what we should be doing. And for example, last week it was about bearing much fruit. And feel like, you know, I feel like a bit of a failure, Pastor. Like, you're really laying it on heavy here. Like, you know, it's like, what is it with you? It's always about doing and doing and doing. I thought it's all done in Jesus. Like, you know, I thought, I thought wow. And, and it could have been left that way. And listen to me, that was intentional. Not by me. It was intentional by the Holy Spirit. He, he didn't answer it last week in that text. And so the tension was very real. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Two encouraging things that we should take from what Jesus says about this mustard seed and that tension today. The Holy Spirit answers it here. First is this. There's our smallness. We're pretty small in the grand scheme of things, aren't we? Do you not feel that way sometimes? In the grand scheme of things as a Christian? I really want us to be encouraged by that, though, because just like all the men who Jesus chose, as is 12, including the one who would betray him, right? None of them were the top guys from rabbi school, from seminary. None of them had degrees at all, right? Or the wealthiest or the most, most influential. No, in fact, some of them were, of course, the weakest, the youngest, the poorest, the lowest in stature. There were women too. Dear Lord, really? There were women too uh, and of no reputation and sometimes men and women of ill repute? I could go on. So listen, if you or I are to think that you're not much good or to offer, you don't really have much good to offer Jesus, that would be helpful toward the expansion of his kingdom, that you're not smart enough, uh, you're not a good enough debater or public speaker, uh, you may not even know your Bible well enough, you might be thinking, uh, then listen please clearly to this. Jesus is essentially saying to you and to me, to all of us, think again. In fact, you are just the candidate he's looking for. That's who he picks. That's exactly who he picks. And at the end of the day, he just wants to tell us through this little mustard seed, look what I can do with a speck of dirt. Feeling encouraged? You should. Small becomes great. Small becomes great. It, it's the upside-down kingdom. It is not what we think. We think the kingdoms are going to be established and we're going to make America, Canada, Christian great again by what? Getting a Christian in there? Okay, I'm not going to mention politics again. We're going to see the second thing related to that later. Point number two, expansion requires investment. Let me put the text back on screen for you. Look at these words. Don't miss these words. These are important. That a man took and sowed in his garden. Very important words. 
I'll suggest this to you to begin with when we look at these words. Our feelings of smallness shouldn't prevent us from investing ourselves and our possessions into the kingdom of God, into the expansion of His kingdom. You and I, yes, we are small, but you all know the truth. He who in, is in us is certainly not. Amen? I cannot wait until January when we actually do the gifts of God to the church, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the gifts that Jesus gives to our church, because Rock Church, man, we need to understand how powerful the Holy Spirit is and, and what He can actually do in us despite how small we are and how small we often feel. So the central role or player in this story, listen, when you look at it, is, listen, it's not obviously the mustard seed or the resulting tree, is it? It's not really the focus of the story. It's actually the man who is a farmer who actually goes and does some farming. That's who the story is about. That's who Jesus wants us to focus on in this story, right? But what does it require of him? What does it require of this man in order for that tree to show up? He didn't make the tree. He had a part in it. But what does it require from him? The potential that this seed had is, again, I've alluded to this, is directly tied to what the man does or doesn't do and God fully. Both are involved here and required in this. To the man in the sense that, first of all, he has to do something. He has to go to his, his seed you know, jar uh, place in his pantry. We have one of those like at home, right? Janice has all these jars with little seeds in them, right? And I have no idea. Coriander, okay? I know what I do with that. And, and, but they're seeds, right? He has to go there. He has to grab that jar of seeds. He has to intentionally say, I'm going to take one of these little mustard seeds. doesn't cost him much, but, but he, he has to invest it. He has to take a risk. He has to go out and he has to put that little seed into the soil. He's got to actually put it into this dark soil. He's got to lose it. He's got to sacrifice it, give it all away. With, with what? The possibility that a tree might grow? That takes what? Faith. It takes investment. You've got to give it away. You've got to give these specks away. So it's, it's somewhat risky. So listen, as the saying goes, I want to suggest this to you, in basketball or hockey or many sports for that example, you are guaranteed to miss every shot you do not make. Guaranteed to miss every shot you do not take. This is the, the same thing that's going on here. You are guaranteed to fail at bearing fruit at being a part of the expansion of the kingdom of God if you are not willing to take risks and, listen, invest yourself and your possessions. But here's the rub, I think, for you and I here today. I'm, I got the T-shirt here. This is my confession, okay? You don't, you're probably holier and more righteous than I am, and I'm not feigning this. But, but you and I are willing, aren't we, oftentimes in our lives to take certain risks, to, to take out a mortgage, to, to get a house so that hopefully one day we will actually own it and not the bank. We will take those risks if, listen, at the end of the day, there is a benefit to us. If we in some way will profit. Why not the kingdom? 
why not the kingdom of God? Right? Anyway, that's the rub. We know the answer to that, don't we? We all know the answer. So why not the kingdom? I heard a great message last week by a, a good friend, a, a previous church planter, planted an awesome church in Vancouver, left it after 14 years in the hands of a, a, a younger man, which is awesome, and he's been preaching around the lower mainland, and uh, I, heard, I listened to his message that he preached at a church in Tawasin last uh, Sunday, and, and I, I texted him, I said, that was awesome, I really appreciated the sermon, and by that way, that one point that you made, I'm going to steal that. And he said, go ahead, I stole it, so you go ahead, right? But he said this, and he wanted to encourage this church, and his message was about giving. And he said this, he asked this question, I'm going to ask you this question today. What would bring you more joy? Heading out shopping with $500 in your pocket, or heading to church on Sunday morning with that same $500 in your pocket? I'll just leave that with you. Please hear me. This is important, church. Not just money, but other things. It's important. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ and you know Him as your personal Savior and you have been forgiven and you have repented and you are saved, you are an heir, fully, equally with Jesus Christ. You are a gazillionaire. There's no amount of money or name or word that I can put. Do do you know that? Do we live that way every day? Do we really understand that? We are really, really rich. So that being true, which it is, let's start seeing both our time and our possessions and yes, our money as, listen, as mere specks of dirt. Listen, I know for some of you, $500 seems like a lot of money. It's a speck of dirt that could grow into something absolutely astounding if invested in the kingdom of God. It has the potential to produce a massive movement of God both here and around the world. It's happening all the time. It's happening all the time. So that's exactly what Jesus says will happen, isn't it? He says what will happen is if you put a speck of dirt into, and you have faith in doing it and you risk it and you give it away, He says, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made their nests in its branches. It's guaranteed. Jesus will do something with it. He will do something with it. So let's be sure we also see this. In this picture of the man, the farmer, we learn that it really didn't require a big investment from him, did it? It just required a little bit of faith, a little bit of his time to do this and look at What happens? Out of that man's little faith, his small investment, he gained a massive return, a huge tree. Now listen, in faith term, you Christians that know your Bibles, what would you call that? His hard work? How about grace? Unmerited favor? (laughs) Something we don't deserve for our little speck of dirt? Yeah, it's grace. It's grace. That man's tiny act of faith, his small gift, resulted in a gift of grace that was far beyond what he deserved. But there's more. (laughs) There's more here as well. The farmer received the gift of grace, right? He received the gift of grace. but, But there were more recipients of the grace. And this is the important thing. This is bearing fruit. You take the grace that's been given to you, what you did not deserve, you give it away, 
Bearing fruit is spreading grace, is it not? Homeless birds get to come and sit in this tree. They, they get shade. They get rest in this tree. It's a beautiful picture and metaphor. And so what do you suppose that Jesus wants you and I to learn from this story about his kingdom? Well, let me put it simply. Those who have received much grace are to be those who share that grace with others. I, I, I have to ask myself the question this week a few times. How much, do I how much grace do I understand I've received? Man. A faithful, listen, and loving marriage is a great example of this, which is why it is so precious and important to Jesus. The husband or wife who faithfully, faithfully, and it takes, it takes a lot sometimes, right, with the way we treat each other, loves the other for 30, for 40, for 50 years, will not only enjoy, this is the hope, a wonderful marriage that actually goes from attraction to real love, but that marriage blesses others, does it not? Does it not bless the children? Does it not bless even maybe the neighborhood and the children's children of the neighbors and so on and so forth? Does it not bless you in your workplace? Does it not, are you not a blessing when you've able to stay together and work through all your troubles to be a help to those whose marriages do not work out? So far, Jesus has shown us that the expansion of the kingdom goes from small to great and that investment is required. And we know that that investment began with Jesus himself, right? There's a seed for you. That was a big risk. So now Jesus adds one more illustration to this. And in this we see point number three, the expansion is the goal. And again he said, to what shall I call, or pardon me, compare the kingdom of God? Then he says, look at this. It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So for the second time, he asks this question. Again, repetition, repetition, important point is being made. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? The first time he used a small, insignificant speck of dirt and a farmer. In this illustration, he uses leaven, which is yeast, same thing. And this is very interesting, a woman. That's intentional. Now, for the Jewish listener in that day, and especially the men in that day, I will add, sadly, they might have been guilty of drawing a parallel between the speck and the woman. Jesus is going to disabuse them repeatedly about that idea, isn't he? And he does right here in this story as well. I mean, they may be just thinking, look, well, yeah, it's, it's a woman. It's woman's work, right? Um, once again, Jesus chooses, chooses someone from what in that day was seen to be the lower end of society and privilege to illustrate this truth. God does not show partiality at all. So how does this illustration of the woman and the leaven inform us about the expansion of the kingdom of God? Well, it does so in two ways. First, like the mustard seed, it starts small. But instead of the picture of growth into a big tree, what we see is it, it acts like a virus. It goes viral, to use a modern term. 
It's a different process. The question is how? Does it spread faster? Listen, through, you know, this, this type of virus, this type of um, metaphor or illustration of leaven through gifted preachers and teachers and podcasts or your local barista here at the ledge or any other person or, heaven forbid, a baker, right? Or how about through a full-time missionary in an unreached land or through a man or a woman who sees whatever they work they do and the place that they do it in as themselves being a missionary in that place full-time in Vancouver or in Squamish. So for those of us who are not bakers, let me, let me give you a little bit of a, my, my basic understanding of what goes on here, okay, so that we can conclude this today. Um, the idea of leaven or yeast may seem a little vague to some of you. I mean, my understanding is, is that there's, you know, you might think of something like there's, you buy it in a jar, right? And uh, I mean, you know, like, and, and you take it and you put it in and maybe there's some water and there's some flour involved. And then, you know, before you know it, you've got bread, okay? Like, obviously I don't bake. But, but like, that in our modern day, in that day, it was very, very different. The only way that that happened in that day, and, and, and quite frankly, in really good places that make uh, baked goods today, it, it was dough that was already taken from a fully leavened batch. And it was incorporated into the flour and other ingredients, and then it was left to do its magic to do its work, and it, it, it's magic. It, it's viral, it's like a virus. It, it will eventually just take over the whole thing. It, it will completely infect the whole and, and it'll spread, transforming it. Literally everything it comes in contact with will be consumed by it and it will eventually leaven the whole. So given the right amount of time, the dough expands and expands and expands, and the leaven's hidden power takes over completely. Just like the mustard seed, it takes just a little leaven. So friends, that's the point that Jesus is making. That's the point he's making here. And church, I, I, I want to ask you to imagine with me. Usually I save this until our, our resolution message on, on just after New Year's, you know, we're looking, we're dreaming forward, right? And, and I, I ask us to vision and dream, but I, I want to ask you today, just imagine, imagine what could happen if a small group of nobodies, starting with me, who themselves had experienced the grace of God in their lives were to sacrifice their little tiny specks of dirt, investing themselves, their possessions, and yes, their money into the expansion of the kingdom of God. Imagine these recipients of grace being the investors of grace in their neighborhoods and communities. Imagine how this might spread and spread and spread. That brings me to what I promised you is the second encouraging thing that we should take from Jesus uh, that's taken about this mustard seed and that tension, and that is this. Sometimes, actually, no, I'm going to repeat that differently. Most of the time, you and I, will not see the fruit. We, we will plant seeds. We may even water someone else's planted seed and, and see some fruit, but many times we won't see the fruit. And so don't be discouraged. Just keep investing. Keep planting. Keep going. A few years ago, before we actually moved here 
Susquamish to plant the church. I was at uh, Starbucks in Walnut Grove, North Langley, and I'm coming out with my coffee in the morning, a little blurry-eyed, but I got my coffee, and this young man yells out, Glenn Davies! And I'm like, <clears throat> excuse me? Uh, who are you? What's your name? And he came up to me and he told me his name and, and the name, I vaguely remembered his name, right? And he said, yeah, yeah, I was in your, your youth group at uh, Bakerview Gospel Chapel in Richmond years ago. And I was like, oh, really? Like, I got I to tell you, that when I took over that youth group from the other fella leading that youth group, I, I think I knew maybe like one-tenth of the New Testament. Like, I, I used to open up my King James Bible in the back in that day and I'd be like, Lord, help me. I had no idea what I was going to teach these kids. And there was, and, and there was like, I think, seven or eight young men and two young ladies. And I, I did it for like a year or two. I didn't know what I was doing. I loved them. They're great kids. I still am, I'm actually friends with a few of them on Facebook to this day. But he, he looked at me and he said, and you know what, I got, I'm going to be really honest with you. I hope he's not watching. Uh, I didn't think he'd be one of the ones who would turn out. <laughs> he looked at me and said, that... That youth group, um, that really spoke into my life. And I'm a Christian today because of that youth group. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, small, insignificant, didn't know what I was doing. And God comes along and says, there you go. Um, not that you did it, I did it, but there. Be encouraged. Small things, small things. So possibly, I think now, I want to conclude with these words of Jesus from Luke chapter 12 that he earlier preached and taught. Maybe now, when you read these words, and I'm just going to read them for you, put them on screen for you, maybe now you're going to see them in conclusion to this beautiful picture of the mustard seed and the leaven. Maybe you're going to see these words as his plea to you today, church, Christian. Let me read them for you as I put them on screen. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 31 to 34. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. What things? What you need to eat, what you need to wear. I, I can look after these things, guys. Seek first the kingdom of God. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Pray with me, would you?